It is our most powerful weapon, but we hardly use it the way we could. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yes, we we will give some political updates, and we will look at the world around us, but our focus is going to be elsewhere. Our focus today is going to be on prayer, the priority of prayer, the power of prayer, the importance of prayer. And ultimately, friends, the more the world goes crazy around us, the more the world relies on its strength and its weapons and its power to influence culture The more we need to be people of prayer, the more we need to rely on God, the more we need to be pressing in to Him. This is the ultimate reality check. The church, God's people, on their knees seeking Him. This is what it all comes down to. Hey friends, welcome to The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown coming your way live from Vero Beach, Florida. And I'm going to be speaking tonight at Oceans United at 7 p.m. Is that what? Yes, 7 p.m. Just checking with Pastor Alex here, who's in the house. So if you're anywhere near Vero Beach, join me. If, if you're hungry for the Lord, if you want a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit, not exactly sure which direction we'll be going tonight, but this is their annual fire conference, a time where they really cry out for God's presence and for personal renewal. So anywhere near Vero Beach, join me tonight, 7 o'clock. All right. If you have a question... Any subject relevant to the line of fire at all, phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. If you have a question that relates in particular to prayer, that's great. If you've got questions relating to what's going on in the political scene around us, glad to talk with you about that as well. But if you've been listening to the line of fire over the years, you know that revival is one of our great burdens. Revival in the church leading to awakening in the culture. It's one of the great burdens that we carry. In fact, in our ministry, Ask Dr. Brown, we, we boil things down to three R's. Three R's that are foundational to us. One, revival. So revival in the church, God's people, turning back to the Lord, being renewed, being changed, being refreshed, being revived. Revival. And then the second R, revolution. Gospel-based moral and cultural revolution. Jesus changes us, and God uses us to impact the world around us. And then the third are redemption, redemption in Israel, seeing the lost sheep of the house of Israel come to faith. So those are foundational burdens that we always carry. And my own life has been shaped by outpourings of the Spirit. I came to faith in 1971 in the midst of what we call the Jesus Revolution or the Jesus People Movement. Here, God reached down and answered a prayer in the midst of of rebellion and cultural crisis, the whole hippie scene and all of this, and so much that was going in the wrong direction. God reached down and began to save us, just grabbed us, hundreds of thousands of hippies, radicals, rebels, saved in a very short period of time. Many Jews saved at that period of time. So my life was impacted by that. I was greatly impacted by an outpouring of the Spirit in 82, 83, at a time when I was pursuing my PhD and had gotten a little bit cold, I had left my first love, and there was spiritual pride in my life in these different areas of learning, and God humbled me and produced a great hunger in my heart again 
for revival and then touched me and, and through me touched many in our church. It was life transforming. And then uh, being part of the Brownsville Revival from 1996 to 2000 and seeing God literally touch millions of people that came from around the world from 130 nations and the fruit of that remains and grows. But what all these moves, what all these revivals, what all these outpourings have in common is that they arose out of prayer, that they arose out of people crying out to God. God responds to prayer. God responds to the hunger and cry of his people. I want to remind you of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount when he encouraged us to pray. He said, what man is there of you if his son asks for bread, but will give him a, a stone instead? Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a snake. He said, if, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? That's Matthew 7, 11, Luke eleven thirteen. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And before that, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door is open. In John 14, he encourages you, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Encouragement to prayer found throughout Scripture. You say, well, why doesn't God just work? Why doesn't God just do what he's going to do? Why doesn't he just take over? Well, because he works with us, because we are his co-workers, because he is not simply going to damn the world or save the world without human responsibility, human involvement. So human beings send and brought destruction and grief and death on the world, and now God sends his son as a human being to die for us, and now works through human beings. And above all, friends, it is relational. It's not just push a button, put a dollar in the vending machine, push a button, and the candy bar comes out. That's not what prayer is. It's, it's not just some robotic thing where we say, okay, X, Y, Z needs. Okay, God, here you go. Now fix everything. <clears throat> it's not how it works. God builds relationship with us, and God's looking to us to learn to go to him, to understand who he is, to lean on him, to trust him, to, to join our hearts with him. That's why Psalm 37, 4 says that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. So we now get our desires, our hearts in line with his, and now what we pray is answered. John 15, 7, the same thing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you will and it'll be done for you. Why? Because we're now in harmony with God. And in James, Jacob, the fourth chapter, he rebukes people and says, you you ask for yourselves. You ask for carnal reasons. But when we align ourselves with God and we begin to cry out to God, we understand that God put that desire in our hearts. He's inviting it. He's making it easy in that respect. There's a lot in the word that teaches us we have to persevere. There may be obstacles. Luke 18, 1, Jesus gives his disciples a parable that they should pray and not faint, not cave in, not lose heart. Because along the way, you're going to be tempted to. Along the way, you're going to think God's not listening, it's not going to happen, whatever. That, That can easily set in, which is why he tells us in advance. But God wants to be glorified. God wants to work in certain ways so that that it's clear that he is doing it. 
I was talking about God's moving and tweeted something about it, and an atheist responded, a woman, and she said there's no evidence for prayers being answered, and it's basically biased confirmation. In other words, you want to think it was God, so you attribute it to God, but there's no empirical evidence. And I said, actually, there's tons of empirical evidence, and there's so many things that in the life of a believer that you know that this happened in answer to prayer. In other words, you have to defy facts, you have to defy logic, you have to defy empirical evidence to say that it's not an answer to prayer. So I'm encouraging you, and I'm speaking to myself as well, let's take hold of the greatest spiritual weapon we have. Let's use to the full the power of prayer. Let's renew our commitment to seek the face of God. Let's renew our commitment to pray for revival in the church. Let's renew our commitment to pray for the salvation of loved ones that have fallen away. Look, there's someone I was very, very close to for many years, best friend before I was saved, best friend after I got saved. Then he fell away from the Lord and was away from the Lord for over 40 years. I didn't pray for him every day, but I would pray for him many times with great burden. And if I was ever teaching a class with students and I just happened to reference something about backsliding and I'd say, can, can we just stop and pray for my friend? Sometimes I'd just be overcome with burden and pray, with him, pray for him with tears. Over 40 years away from the Lord, in the last year, he's come back to the Lord. God's restored him. Friends, you never know what happens through your prayer. I, I can't tell you how many times during the Brownsville Revival when we were watching baptisms on Friday nights as 20, 30 people would get baptized every Friday night with amazing testimonies and stories. I can't tell you how many times people would, would talk about how prayer from a family member brought them back. I, I mean, quite distinctly, I remember some big guys, big, tough guys, fresh out of jail or, or with a real, real lurid past. And they would, they would get up and say, you know, I was messed up, I was violent, I was in gangs, I was on drugs, man, I was in jail. You know, big guy. Said, but mama kept praying. they break down crying. We'd all shout for joy. Friends, you might be the lifeline for that, for that loved one, for that friend, for that family member, for the person that was in your congregation. You may be their lifeline. And that lifeline is you getting on your knees and praying and interceding for them. That's what we have to do for America right now. The world is not going to pray for itself. The world doesn't know to do that. People that are backslidden and, and, and asleep, slumbering in their sin, they, they need to be awakened. But we who are awake, we who are in the light, we who know God, we not only have the sacred responsibility to pray, but we have the extraordinary opportunity to pray. And I, I feel strongly convinced in my own heart, in my own life, that everything that we need to do what God's called us to do as a ministry, everything we need for funding of our worldwide work, for funding of reaching the lost sheep of the house of Israel, for expanding our work to, to impact all of America, I know that ultimately all of that is found on our knees in the presence of God. Everything, everything that we need is found in him. Evan Roberts, greatly used by God, the Welsh Revival, 1904-1905, said that his mission was to get the church on its knees, that, that a praying church was an invincible church. And, and over the years, I've shared some prayer quotes with you. I want to share 
a few with you again. E.M. Bounds, famous for his book on prayer, said no learning can make up for the failure to pray. He said what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer, men and women of mighty prayer. John Bunyan said you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. So, friends, we're in a real critical situation in America right now, deeply divided, tremendous political upheaval, so much going in the wrong direction in terms of morality. The answer is an awakening through the country, and that will come as revival comes to the church, and that will come as the people of God get on their knees, get on their faces, cry out to God. All right, we come back, we're going to take some calls, we're going to comment on the Iowa caucuses and the debacle that's taking place there, so... Stay tuned. We'll be right back. God of light, hear our cry. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on the Line of Fire. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, we are audio only on the road here in Vero Beach. Everyone listening, radio and podcast, all the same as always. 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Going to go to the phones in a moment, but as we're, we're talking about prayer, the priority of prayer, the importance of prayer, many times we find ourselves in difficult situations that are very worrisome. And it's interesting, you can worry all the time. You know, you can be changing diapers on your baby and you're worrying. You can be programming, writing computer code and you're worrying. You could be sitting at a baseball game and you're worrying. In other words, whatever environment we're in, we can worry. Well, what if we turn the worry into prayer? In other words, if we could worry while doing other things, why can't we pray while doing other things? What I mean is this that the moment the worrisome thoughts come, the fear, the concern, just turn it into a prayer. Just, oh, is this baby going to be all right? Father, touch my baby. Oh, what's going to, man, I'm so confused. Father, I need your guidance. So rather than stifle the worry, turn it into prayer. That's what Paul counsels in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, not to be anxious about anything, but rather through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make our requests known to God. And then what happens? And the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding will guard your heart and mind in Messiah Jesus. All right, let's take some calls, starting in Raleigh, North Carolina. Lewis, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Appreciate being with you. Thank you for this discussion on prayer. It's very interesting. I did want to make a point. Um, 2016, uh, you did a segment, I believe, with Jeremiah Johnson about the prophecy of uh, President Trump. Um, and all the corruption uh, that he would, um, I, I think, about, and I'm not quoting it correctly, but that he would uncover, and uh, basically just talking about, you know, how our government and things would be exposed. In it. Have you thought about that, or have you seen, in your opinion, any of that prophecy come to pass with all the revelations that have been coming forward, you know, through the, what's been happening with our government? Yeah, I mean, th- there's no question to me that President Trump has functioned as a wrecking ball as many have said. And, and uh, I was just talking with Pastor Alex of, of the, the church here where I'm speaking tonight in Vero Beach, Oceans Unite. We were, we were talking about how the Trump presidency has brought so much up 
to the surface. It is, it is brought up, I mean, most evidently, the, the level of what you call deep state, you know, how deep the political swamp is in D.C. It has brought to the surface the radicality of the Democrat Party. It has brought to the surface the extreme media bias, really on both sides. It has brought to the surface a lot of hypocrisy in the church. So, yeah, to that extent, for better or worse, Donald Trump has been supernaturally used. Some have likened it to Jeremiah 1, that before you can build and plant, you have to uproot and tear down. Uh, I I may write about this again at some point, because I I, I spoke about it earlier on uh, during the Trump candidacy and then earlier on in his presidency. But I was sitting with a friend of mine, Christian leader, who's very much involved behind the scenes politically. And it was in the days when I really wanted to see Ted Cruz as the Republican candidate. And I really didn't see how Trump could, could do good uh, as, as the candidate. And he said to me, he said, hey, maybe we'll have eight years of Trump coming in and, and wrecking everything. And then Ted Cruz coming in and rebuilding for eight years. So if you kind of understand that this is a messy process, with a person with a lot of evident flaws, and yet one with this forehead of steel that seems uh, immovable in the midst of extreme pressure, yeah, I, I think it's quite evident that a lot has come up to the surface, including all kinds of corruption. Now that you have the fiasco in Iowa, I mean, the very worst possible way for the Democrats to start, and everybody's wondering, and I'll, I'll come back to this in a moment, uh, after some other calls, but everybody's wondering, is there, what's going on? Are you trying to suppress Bernie Sanders' conspiracy? Now they're, they're blaming Mayor Pete, calling him Mayor Cheat. You know, what's actually going on? So, yeah, a lot of stuff has come up to the surface, and that's why it's as messy as it is. Well, I, I appreciate your opinion on that, and uh, we really appreciate you here, and, and uh, you know, you've been to our church a couple of times as well at RFA, and we really appreciate you. Keep up the great work. We, Oh, we thank you. you. We appreciate you. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Appreciate that. Yeah, and it's been a joy to join with the church there in Raleigh. Appreciate the, the, the pastor and the, the team there. And let me just say, what I just said about Donald Trump, you should be able to see and agree with whether you're, you're a supporter of Trump or not, whether you plan to vote for him or not. What I'm saying should be evident beyond a political viewpoint. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Sean in League City, Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, how are you doing today, Dr. Brown? Doing very well, thank you. Good deal, good deal. I, I just wanted to kind of bring up a point, kind of ride, to, to ride on uh, what you, you were talking about yesterday. Yes, sir. And we were there talking about how, you know, the Super Bowl had these ungodly halftime shows or whatever, and I was scrolling through uh, you know, I go to like the Christian Post and uh, to Charisma News, and as I was scrolling through Charisma News, you know, you click an article and then it has these advertisements on the side, and one of them had this really. I sent an email to y'all yesterday. I don't know whether you, y'all be able to look at it or not, but of the picture that it had on this mug on there, and it was really inappropriate. Uh, to, I mean, you would think you'd have some kind of refuge going to a Christian, you know, news site, and no. And then and then later on, going through, reading another article, there was some lady who uh, who was in a, a, like, she looked like a Sports Illustrated uh, model, okay? And I have 
I had the screen. I, I took pictures of these things, and I was thinking, do you not, do you not, you know, do they not screen who who pays them? I mean, yeah. So, so here's know, what happens with that, Sean. Uh, in years past, I have drawn attention to that uh, if I was posting on a particular conservative news site or a Christian news site and said, hey, I'm, I'm pointing people over to your site. Are you aware of what's coming up with the advertising? And what I've been told is kind of like swatting flies. It, in other words, you tell them what your standards are, you tell them what's acceptable, what's not, and then something slips through, something, and you have to go back after it. No, 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 this is not, it's, it's got to change. And so uh, the folks that I'm aware of that are involved with running the sites, they totally agree with you, and they continue to do their best to eliminate certain things. But it's again, it's kind of this constant flood that's coming, and then certain things get through that ought not. But you know, the other reminder is wherever we are, we've got to watch our hearts and watch our, our eyes and our minds. Uh, James Robinson at the stream has been able to operate that advertising free, but that means a lot of funds have to be raised to make that happen. So it's very, very challenging to do it. Virtually everyone else is going to have advertising or products for sale or things like that uh, to make it function. But look, sometimes I'll just chill a little bit, take a break from, from writing and working and, and go to a sports website and so I'm just looking for sports. I'm not looking for anything else, you know, just what happened in the game last night or whatever, or the latest update on somebody. And, and uh, sure enough, you know, there's some trashy picture that it's like, I'm, I'm not looking for this. Same thing just in your, in your email, your trash can come in. So it's really a day to, to be especially vigilant. And Sean, if you notice anything like that, it's, it's always good to bring it to the attention. Take a screenshot if you can, uh, just or, or date, get the date and the hour of when it takes place, and then just mm -hmm. shoot that over to the folks because uh, they can't monitor everything every second, and that's where they rely on us to, to let them know. And... Uh, yeah, but it's, that's the world we live in today, and the Internet is, is so polluted in so many ways. Hey, thank you for sharing your concern. And if you missed our broadcast yesterday where we talked about the Super Bowl halftime show, uh, go to AskDrBrown.org. You can read an article that I wrote about that or a video that we put out about that as well, what our reaction and response should be. And, yeah, I, I checked last night. I went back to 1993 to Michael Jackson performing at the Super Bowl because I'm, I'm not going to – uh, have a problem watching some guy dancing in ways that are inappropriate, but I'm not going to watch a, a lady doing it. And sure enough, there's grabbing of one part of his body. It's on 1993. And I go back before that for a lot of other pollution. So we ought not to be surprised that things are as dark as they are, but we ought to be alert and awake. Uh, let's go to Atlanta. Zev, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Yes, sir. So um, my question is in, is pertaining to um, prayer, but in the sense of corporate prayer, like yeah. praying as a body of believers. And um, at my church currently, we're about a mid-sized church of about 2,000 people per week. Um, very busy, have three services on weekends. I'm very active, very um, plugged in at my church. But one thing I've noticed and something that concerns me is that um, there really isn't any focused time um, given towards prayer. Prayer is more of a 
transition from one part of the service to the next, but there's no actual service or anything corporately that is geared towards just seeking the Lord and seeking his face, which we know is very important in regards to revival, like you just talked about. So I wanted to ask you, um, as a member, uh, how would you, if you were in my shoes, how would you address that? How would you um, tackle that issue of sorts? How would you uh, make that known that prayerlessness seems like, you know, is not a, it's not a huge issue? Like, how would yep, you yep. Um, go about and, that? And Zev, what, what you describe is not unique uh, to your congregation. There obviously seems healthy and growing in so many ways, and yet lack of corporate prayer. Right? Listen, I want to answer you in some depth but it'll be on the other side of the break. So I wanted to get the question out. We'll come back and talk about how to cultivate prayer in the local church. Stay tuned. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. As we look at the political scene around us, the end of the impeachment trial, the president's state of the union, the Democratic debacle in Iowa, so much swirling around us. The big, big issue for me is that we are rightly connected with God, rightly looking to God, rightly leaning on God, rightly using the power of prayer. This is Michael Brown coming away live from Vero Beach, Florida. If you're anywhere near Vero Beach, please join us tonight at Oceans Unite, 7 p.m. for the final night of their fire conference where we're really coming together to encounter God afresh. Also this weekend, be part of a Together for Israel conference, Restoration First Things conference in Orlando. That's this coming weekend. So all the details are on my itinerary, askdrbrown.org. Uh, listen to these quotes about prayer. Then I want to go back to Zev in Atlanta, who asked, how do you cultivate corporate prayer in a busy, thriving church that doesn't seem to have prayer meetings or prayer times? Robert Murray McShane, saintly McShane from the early 1800s in Scotland, said, O believing brethren, what an instrument is this which God hath put into your hands? Prayer moves him that moves the universe. It makes me think of what the Puritan Thomas Watson said. It was the angel that fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Hallisby in his classic book on prayer said, to pray is to let Jesus come into our hearts. It's not our prayer which moves the Lord Jesus. It is Jesus who moves us to pray. And, and Billy Graham said this, avail yourselves of the greatest privilege this side of heaven. Jesus Christ died to make this communion and communication with the Father possible. And then something William Wilberforce said that I can relate to so much, Wilberforce whom God used to eradicate slavery and the slave trade from the British Empire. He said, I must secure more time for private devotions. I have been living far too public for me. The shortening of devotion starves the soul. It grows lean and fat. I have been keeping too late hours. Wow, what a challenge to us and, and, and what a, an invitation from God to pray. So Zev, when, when we look in the book of Acts, we see how foundational prayer was in the first chapter, the 120 
or, or seeking God daily in prayer, continuing in prayer until the Spirit falls. In Acts 4, when there is a crisis of persecution, they pray. And Acts 4.31 tells us that when they had prayed, the place was shaken. And then when there's a crisis in Acts 12, when one of the, the believers is executed, Jacob James is executed, and then Peter is in prison, and he's about to be executed, they are praying incessantly until the answer comes and until Peter is delivered. And, and you have other examples of, of prayer. Saul of Tarsus, when he encounters Jesus, meets Yeshua for himself in Acts 9. Uh, Ananias is told, all right, here's where you're going to find them, and you're going to find them praying. So this is, a, this is a constant. This is foundational. We see it through the Gospels, the prayer life of Jesus. So what do we do, or what would I do if I was, in, if I was just a member of this congregation? What I would do is I would, I would ask for an appointment with one of the pastors. You may not get the senior pastor, but one of the leaders there, and ask him, uh, is there any way that you could help uh, birth a prayer movement in the church, or you, you believe it's so important, and would you be able to start a prayer meeting in your house maybe? I mean, first thing I would do is, is even before that, I'd go to prayer myself, really praying blessing on the church, thanking God for the church, and asking God to give the church more of a spirit of prayer. And then I would ask, you know, what, uh, is, is there a prayer emphasis, or how could I encourage that, or what could I do, or is it okay, you know, if friends and I gather together to pray, you know, once a month for the church or something, maybe something could spark. Uh, the church where I'm speaking tonight, they have regular prayer emphases. The uh, church where I just spoke in California, the same thing, they're calling their people together regularly to seek the face of God, and it's so essential for everything that we do. But many times in the busyness of life and the busyness of multiple services, you kind of, you pray privately or you pray with your church staff or other things, but there's not a time for corporate prayer, which is a real loss. So that's what I do. I I would go not as if I was criticizing, but I would go asking how I can help, how I can be a blessing. Uh, Is what do they feel about prayer, feel the need for more prayer? Now, if their answer is, hey, we're doing great as is, we're healthy and fine as is, people are getting saved, the church is healthy, we don't need that, that would concern me. I would hope that wouldn't be their answer. That would concern me. I I wonder if I'm in the right place, if that's their philosophy, but I would hope that's not their attitude. Then they may say, oh, no, we have all these prayer things going on, but they're in homes or they're at different times. Maybe you're not aware of them. Otherwise, hey, what could I do to help cultivate more prayer for the church and the community here and see what the Lord does with it? Yes, sir. Thank you so much for answering my question. You brought so much clarity um, to that. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. You are very welcome. You are very welcome. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, before we go back to the phones, I did a poll last night on Twitter, and, and I said this. Well, this is partly half-hearted and partly serious, but here it goes anyway. What do you think is causing the long delays in releasing the results of the Democratic caucus in Iowa? And there were four choices that I gave. Russian hacking. Now, uh, I'll tell you what, let let me do an update because I wrote this article earlier this morning and I I posted the poll last night. Let's see. Uh, Here we go. Okay, Russian hacking. At this point, 6.2% of the people 
blame what happened in Iowa with the tobacco with not having still haven't even announced the 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 votes and what came in and so you don't know who won and, and then when you find out who won do you believe it has is there something else going on there are accusations against different ones and this one's pointing a finger and that one's pointing a finger it, it, absolutely disastrous start and you, you have the graphics that as, as I was going to check what was happening last night after flying in and get to my hotel room and on the on the one side, the left side, the way I was looking at it, it's blue, and it's all the Democrat candidates. You got all these names, some of them we couldn't even identify in a room with them because we're just not that familiar with them. You got all those names; they all say zero. Then the other side, you have Trump and a couple of candidates. He's got ninety something percent of the vote, which of course, you know, and so he's got victory already in Iowa, which is fully expected, obviously, and apparently good turnout, and his popularity rate, approval rate, as high as ever been. Passed as President Obama at the same time in his term, first term, and remarkably 49% after all the impeachment, all the negative news and all this. So you got that going on. And then the Democrats, you don't even know what happened. So who caused this? 6.1% now, as I look again, say Russian hacking. 1% Chinese hacking. 24.9%, so right about a quarter of the people, said tech and or human error. And check this out. 67.9%. So over two-thirds of the respondents said trying to stop Bernie Sanders. So, and obviously, I don't have any more information than you have as to what's going on. But it's a complete disaster for the Democrats. And just think, after pushing the Russia collusion for three years, and now Ukraine and trying to to get political favor from Ukraine or or to, to hurt uh, Biden's candidacy and all of this going on, you, you now you now have a situation where the natural thing to think is it's conspiracy again. Who who did it? Who did it? Damon Linker wrote this at the week. Whatever the eventual outcome of the 2020 Iowa Democratic caucuses, and whether or not anyone in our conspiracy-addled country believes in the veracity of the officially certified result, there is one clear winner of the vote, and that is President Donald Trump. I'm looking at headlines on the Real Clear Politics website, and these are different. They have alternate articles. They have conservative, they have liberal, they have different points of view, but one after another. A total meltdown. Democrats bungle Iowa caucus results. That's on Politico. Bernie's internal results. Sanders first, Biden a distant fourth. That's on The Intercept. Biden flopped in Iowa. So did the Dems' reputation. That's The Guardian. Last night's big winner, Donald J. Trump. That's The Week. The Iowa caucus has just died forever. CNN. Mess in Iowa only the beginning for 2020 Dems. New York Post. Welcome to the New Hampshire primary. Boston Globe pulling the plug on Democrats' life support. American greatness. It's it's almost like reaping what has been sown for the last three years. So, again, this overwhelming belief that this is trying to stop Bernie Sanders. and, And then others have said this. Well, well, hang on, hang on. As Damon Linker wrote, uh, Monday night was a stunning display of rank incompetence. So many voters are going to think, you mean this is who you want to put in charge of taking over health care delivery from C to signing C? The, the ones that can't run a caucus, they're not going to take over the government and health care for everyone? So <clears throat> this also adds into the whole mythology of Trump. Well, he's, he's always in your head. He can't be defeated. He's playing 4D chess. God raised him up. He, he creates chaos and thrives in it. So, so this, 
this just feeds this whole mentality as if Trump can't be beaten, etc. So uh, I am today on the broadcast focusing on the importance of prayer. I am not looking for a political solution to the many problems in America. Yes, I'm involved, and yes, as a radio host and, a, and, a, and, and an op-ed writer, I do comment on political situations much more than your average pastor or Christian leader would. That being said, friends, that being said, my hope for America is found in one place and one place only, and that's in God himself. And it is our connection to God that is most essential. So I'm watching what's happening in Iowa with, with some amazement. Again, you could not have gotten off to a, to a worse start. I, I'll give you a, a football analogy. Do you remember, not Peyton Manning's last time in the Super Bowl when he won, but the time before that? So you've got one of the top quarterbacks who's ever lived. You've got one of the best teams in football. You've got people that are working hard that are disciplined, that are practicing over and over and over and over again. And the very first play, the ball is snapped over his head back into the end zone. And it's like, no, this is not possible. And then it kind of went downhill from there. So you want to get out of the gate strong. You want to establish a momentum. And here you basically run into an instant wall. And it's almost like there are 10 people in a race, uh, and, and, and I'm like the front runner. So there are nine people and me, and the gun sounds, and the nine start fighting with each other and tripping over each other, and I just run and win the race easily. That's kind of how this started. Now, it's a long way from here to November. We can't even predict what's going to happen tomorrow. But ultimately, with all the chaos, all the confusion, my eyes are primarily not on Iowa or politics or the White House but on the Lord Jesus. Let's connect in prayer, friends. That is the key for the United States, for the future of our nation. Be right back with your calls. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Oh, let me just share another couple of great prayer quotes with you. John Wesley, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. Charles Spurgeon, so the preacher of the gospel, asks your prayers, and it is part of the duties arising out of the relationship between Christian men that those who are taught should pray for those who teach God's word. Friends, we we can never overemphasize the importance of prayer. Oswald Chambers, prayer is not an exercise, it is the life. He said, we think of prayer as a preparation for work or a calm after having done work, whereas prayer is the essential work. It is the supreme activity of everything that is noblest in our personality. G. Campbell Morgan, the whole life of the believer should be prayer. And this is the summary In conclusion, every act, every word, every wish, the act that is not prayer in the ultimate and the word which is not prayer in the last analysis and the wish that is not prayer in the profoundest depth are to be put away. They do not become the life of faith. They are things that produce fainting. 
And he said, prayer is life passionately wanting, wishing, desiring God's triumph. Prayer is life striving and toiling elsewhere and always for that ultimate victory. Friends, let us use the greatest weapon God has given us to touch him and to change the world around us, namely prayer. All right, back to the phones. We go to Lewis in D-Land, Florida. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Shalom, shalom, my brother. Shalom. And so I just want to, you know, touch base with you. I wanted to, to reach out with you. We'll be seeing you this weekend. We'll be going to the convention. And so I'm excited about that. And, you know, pray without ceasing. I just want to elaborate on, on what you're talking about here. And, you know, as you said many times, this is, this is our weapon. And this is, this is our communication. And you had mentioned something about, you know, with, with like parents and, you know, you may, you may not be in a good mood or changing a diaper, but you can pray then. And it reminded me of when Billy Graham was talking about his wife, Ruth. And Ruth said, I would pray on the go. I'd pray on the go. I had, I'd have to take care of these children. Billy was gone, I think, one time for six months. Uh, he, was, he was doing crusades, and she, and she was taking care of the children. And she, she said, I would have to pray on the go, uh, you know, cooking and, and cleaning and taking care of the children. But my prayers were with the Lord, and I know the Lord would take care of me every day. So, you know, prayer, you know, the Scriptures tell us, you know, pray without ceasing. And so this is, this is a, a, a very true... Um, very true, and, and you doing this program and speaking about this is, is very, very important. I have a lot of people in the family that, you know, obviously they have certain feelings towards Trump. Me as a, as a, as a preacher and pastor here in DeLand, you know, we, as you said, we kind of shy away from those political statements. But what I encourage the families to do and what I encourage people to do is pray for your leaders. Pray for them and ask for those wisdom, ask for those things. I mean, we're we're in a time of 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 where our faith is 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 going to be tested a lot, and our communication with the Lord is at the utmost. Is at the utmost. So yeah, I, you know, I just wanted to. Yeah, yeah I, I appreciate those those extra words and that extra push. And you know, we often think of prayer in terms of asking and receiving, or mm-hmm, prayer in terms mm-hmm. of crying out to God for needs to be met. And that's that's true. That's a major part of prayer. But prayer is beyond that communion. It's intimacy, it's relationship. And that's why some things unfold a little differently than we expect in prayer, because God is drawing us closer to himself. And certainly, if, if we spent more time praying than complaining or <laughs> gossiping, you know, if we turn that, right. rather than speaking badly about people, determine instead to pray for them, the effect would be extraordinary and dramatic. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, and I also just want to—I want to thank you um, for the certain teachings that you have been or have put up on the um, on the Talmud. Um, for me, um, you know, we've come to know our Sephardic Jewish roots and things of this nature, um, and we stand as a bridge now here in the land between the Christian community and the Jewish community, and we've been really, just really thankful. For the things that you've, the hidden, what I can say, the hidden manna that, that you've that you've come across, and these conversations that happen within uh, the Talmud and and Rabbi speaking back and forth about Messiah and the conversations, and so I, I just wanted to thank you for that. This weekend, you know, if I get a chance to, to really, you know, sit down with you, I know that you you know it's busy and it's a conference and things, 
Um, but I definitely reach out. I just wanted to thank you because it, it it's enlightened us here and it's helped us here and it's it's fortified us. It's strengthened us here to be able to proclaim Yeshua to our our Jewish brothers. And I'm so, so glad. I'm 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 just excited. And again, I, I want to you know we have a radio station here that we the Lord has provided funds for. So we go on 1310 AM. Uh, in the land and 96.1 FM now, and we're on a full Christian station, and we're talking about their roots of their faith and, and preaching Yeshua and, and just really being this Gesher, being this bridge for everyone. And so I'm just, I'm just, I'm excited. I, I you know, again, I don't want to take too much time from anyone, but you know, you being from Long Island, New York, that too. <laughs> yeah, know, tr- yeah trust, with- trust me, I, I know I'm talking to New Yorker. <laughs> hey, hey, Lewis, I appreciate your enthusiasm and your passion. And look, we, we look to the Lord and to the Bible for spiritual nourishment, growth. That's our foundation of all foundations. For Jewish outreach, for understanding certain things with background, many times rabbinic literature is interesting. And as you study lots of rabbinic literature, you found, wow, this is very different. And for your average Christian, the Talmud and law codes would seem very foreign, very legalistic. But there are bridges. There are bridges of understanding. There are things where we can reach out to the Jewish people using rabbinic literature as a bridge to the scriptures and to Yeshua, and that's often helpful to do. Hey, Lewis, thank you for your call, 866-34-TRUTH. In fact, let me, let me pause here for a moment, in case you didn't get my email. I have a new book coming out March 3rd, I believe. It could be the most fascinating book I've ever written, and it will take you on some extraordinary journeys uh, into the Jewish world, some things into the world of Jewish mysticism, which can get very odd, to say the least, and ultimately on a journey to the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, we'll be announcing a website where you can get additional eBooks free when you order, but my new book, Resurrection, if you would like to get the very first copies that come in, a pre-order, where you'll get signed, numbered, books with a scripture verse, right? So we do this with every, every new book that comes out. We've done it for some years now, whether it's the first 100 or 200 or 500 copies, whatever, or 50 copies that are pre-ordered that uh, stack them up on my desk. I come in, my team's got them all stacked with the names, and I personally sit there. It's a great joy, however long it takes. Sign each one, put a, a scripture reference in each one, and then each one is numbered. So you can say, so I, I got book number eight from the first printing. I got book number 60. I got book number one from the first printing. I I have a great joy in doing it. But let me just tell you a bit more about the book. So you can do that at our website, askdrbrown.org, pre-order the Resurrection book. I may talk about it more on our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast later this week. But here's what you need to know. The view that Jesus rose from the dead, of course, not believed by the wider Jewish world, otherwise they would be followers of Jesus. And the idea that the Messiah could die before completing his mission was considered to be foreign to Judaism. Then Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the grand rabbi of the Lubavitcher movement called the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was arguably the greatest Jewish leader of the 20th century and one of the most influential leaders, Jewish leaders in centuries in general, he died in 1994 at the age of 92, and many of his followers believed that he was indeed the Messiah, and that his death was a test for their physical eyes, that he would soon reveal himself in glory, that he would rise from the dead. And as much as many of his followers to this day still proclaim him as the Messiah, 
still believe that he's Messiah. You see billboards with his picture in Israel proclaiming him as the Messiah. You can go to the headquarters of the movement at 770 Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn, and within the headquarters, they're still proclaiming him as Messiah. The larger movement of his followers no longer openly proclaims that. But in point of fact, they were waiting for him to rise. They'll say he's spiritually with us, that he's spiritually risen, that if you go to the grave, he's not there. But nobody ever saw him rise. No one saw him risen. No one has said, yeah, we physically sat and ate with him. Our top rabbi sat and ate with him over a period of weeks. No, they desperately wanted it to happen. They were longing for it to happen. They had vigils by the grave after he died, waiting for him to rise. And he didn't rise. Why didn't they just make it up? Why don't they just, be, be, because that's not what happens. People might say, I, I sense he's with me spiritually, but you don't have historically evidence of mass hallucination that someone rose from the dead and was physically with them. To this day, you don't have that happening with people saying, yeah, grandma, was, we, we had dinner with grandma last night. No, you might say we're, we're, we still feel her present. You know, people talk like that. People have seances and all that, but they don't manufacture resurrection accounts. So we have proof right in our own day of something like this, whereas in the New Testament, the apostles thought it's over. They quit. They were discouraged. They were fearful. They were hiding only to, to encounter Jesus risen from the dead to their complete and total shock. So this book will open this up. It'll talk about a dying and rising Messiah within Jewish thought, tell you more about these rabbis and some of these traditions, and then glorify the only one who rose. So you can pre-order a signed, numbered copy of the book at askdrbrown.org. It is the new book, Resurrection, Investigating a Rabbi from Brooklyn, a Preacher from Galilee, and the Event that Changed the World. Hey, tomorrow, we're going to be answering your questions on the book of Job.